Let's pray at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for your great love to us. Lord, we thank you for your everlasting provisions that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you for a dear brother here that you have brought here to speak a message to us. Oh, God, you would speak through, to, through him to us. And, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, God, anoint him with your Holy Spirit. God, give him words to speak. And, Lord, help us that our ears might be open to you. That, God, that we could all be encouraged together and strengthened in the inner man. That we, as we leave this place, oh, God, that we could walk with you every day. Oh, God, we pray a special blessing and loading upon this service. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. seems to be appropriate at this time to just say a few words about the importance of this meeting that we're sharing it together this weekend, not knowing the effect it might have across the Church of Jesus Christ, across the congregations and ministries that you represent who are sitting here. We don't know what all God will do with what we're hearing. But I know that God can do a lot of things with consecrated hearts. What we've already heard today is really sufficient for us. I just that nothing else we hear will detract any from what we have already heard. You see, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And there, there, there are really no impossible cases. And we're working with a very, very difficult situation in Costa Rica right now. And a group of new ministers got together to discuss this matter, what you do with this very, very serious and and uh, traumatic thing. And there's a uh, there's a psychiatrist working on the case too. And, and one of the ministers in the meeting, and maybe in a moment of desperation, said, "Brethren, this case is hopeless." And that's a that is something that I refuse to believe. I'm just going to give a little, little, a very brief uh, review of where we've been this weekend, and I'm not including all the thoughts from all the messages that we've been here an awful long time. Just a short review to then to bring us up to where we are. And those of you that were here all weekend, you will recognize these thoughts because you've heard all of them before. God from eternity past desired fellowship with living souls, souls like unto himself. And so from creation he sought his own image in the lives and hearts of his people. That's what he was looking for. His desire was to dwell among them, to dwell among us, yea, to dwell within them. But he could hardly find anyone with such a heart in them. And he longed for that and looked for that, could not find that. Time after time he looked for that. And God offered his heart to his choice creation. He did that in many ways. He did that by giving them his law. He did that by giving, sending them the prophets. He did that by sending them His incarnate Son. 
But the heart of man resisted and rejected that light and truth and grace that God tried so hard to give and took his own son and nailed him to a cross. But there were 120 disciples. And upon them was given that gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God in the soul of man is the restoration of God's image that was lost in the Garden of Eden as as much as what can be done on this side of eternity future. Yet we must still grow. And the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit that refiner of fire still purifies and perfects us as we yield to sanctifying work in our lives. Those who consecrate their lives and talents and time and assets to God find the Spirit-filled life to be a daily experience. Such ones walk with God and unite with others of like heart to form local brotherhoods where gifts and graces flow from heart to heart that all may come to the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the heart of God for His pilgrim kingdom people. I trust we were able to review these sessions and these times of prayer with with those few introductory words. Maybe just a testimony here as a as a preacher, younger preacher. I thought that it was my calling in life to to uh, do things that nobody else was doing. We were part of a church that I considered to be very legalistic and although very orderly, yet uh, somehow or another something was distorting the, the, the message of the gospel as it was coming out of that group of people. They're wonderful people. They're beautiful people. And I felt they needed revival and I felt that God's going to change all that and we're going to set this thing on fire and souls are going to fall down smitten and we're going to see the mighty works of God done. And, uh, you know, I was going to somehow be involved in all this. And I was involved in all kinds of movements and helping to start various things and some of that thing has turned out all right and maybe some of it not so well. But I learned something in life. Still learning. <laughs> the greatest evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is not how many people you can knock down. It's not how much fire fills the building where you're standing. It's not that great thing that draws attention to yourself. It's this, brothers and sisters. It's the lives you can heal. It's the lives that God uses you to change. It's those difficult moments and lives and experiences and tensions between God's people that the Holy Spirit of God can come in among them and heal it and restore it and make it one again. And so uh, what I say from now on comes out of that context. And if someone is a sword-swallowing preacher or a fire-breathing evangelist, that's okay with me. 
uh, I want God to use them and what they feel God has called them to do. But some of us must walk through life with a horn of oil and and drop that oil and drip that oil upon bleeding hearts. Now they have this title here, Grace Empowered Ministry. And they have a text there for us from Ephesians 4, and I want to introduce this theme. This morning we noticed the purpose of all this calling that we've noticed in this weekend, the purpose for all this infilling, the purpose for all this sanctifying work of God by His Spirit to form Christ in us. What is the purpose of all of it, of all of that? Why this anointing of the Holy Ghost? Why this habitation of God through the Spirit? Why this abiding in the vine? Why this unceasing prayer? We didn't talk nearly as much about that this weekend as we should have. I would suggest that theme for some of your future meetings. Why this living by faith? Why did Christ offer us this abundant life? And as we think of those questions, we find the answer in the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He had all of that that I said. He experienced all that daily in His life. He went forth every day with that power upon Him. And why did He have that? Why did God give Him the gift of the Holy Spirit without measure? Why did He live in such close communion to the Father? Why those night-long prayers? Why that early morning appointment with His Father? Why that consecration? Why that yieldedness to His Father's will? Why that refusal to get wrapped up in this world and what this world could have entangled Him with? Why did He refuse that? And what Jesus Christ did with that anointing and that blessing that He received, that's what we must leave this campground and go out there to do what He did. And all this giftedness, and you uh, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you want to sense the presence of God, and you want to know that He's using your life, you want to know that there's nothing between you and God, and you want to know that all is on the altar, and you want to know that you're completely available, and you want to know But why is that? What is all that for? It's not for personal enjoyment, brothers and sisters. It's not for some kind of public performance. It is not for some kind of euphoric experience or some spectacular assemblies. And I was very blessed with the order, the humbleness, the quietness, the reverence of the worship this morning, the way it was conducted up till now. No ostentation. I saw something in this meeting several times that I've never seen in a meeting in my life. I've seen it several times this weekend. I've seen worship leaders up here pouring their hearts into what they were doing. And when their part of the service was over, you could not find them because they had melted into the assembly and got lost into the assembly before that part came to an end. I thought so, so beautiful was that. 
So beautiful is that attitude. So beautiful is that position. So beautiful is that example. It's not about who is doing it. It's not about who's up front here. Why then this power? Why then this giftedness that He gives us? Why this unction upon our lives? What are we searching for this for? What do we need it for? Why are we seeking a visitation from heaven? A deeper infilling of His Spirit. Why do we desire to more clearly know His heart? To more fully do His will? Why do we desire to learn of His meekness and His love? Is all this for me this morning, for you and I, is it a quest to become bigger, more noticed, more used? What is it for? Or, or is it a desire to truly become smaller? You heard a testimony of Sister Erica. I just hold a little example before you this morning. It would humble most of us if you would hear what I would say. I'm about to say. Did you ever see somebody that used to be so big in the streets of Eugene, Oregon become so small as what she is today? And how do you think that happened? And if the work of God in your life does not do that to you and I, That it was something else that was happening in us. It was something we were well able to do. But when Christ gets in there and does this work, that's the way we go. And so I want to... Uh, ask you what you expect to be the result of your life of this intense seeking of this hunger and thirst I would like this last message this morning to to change our focus if we're expecting for thunder to roll for lightning to flash because I'm here because of the uh, dedications and consecrations that I have done, because of my fastings and prayings. I'm going to ask you something. You're expecting this weekend to lead you to the cross. Are you expecting these beautiful hymns these testimonies and these hymns that have been sung for us by God's choice children 
to whom he has given special songs and to help us understand him and to unite our hearts together in worship. Do you expect all of this to lead us to the cross? Are you prepared as you leave here to say, not my will but thine be done? Are you prepared to lose everything you have? Now we cannot build three tabernacles here at Camp Penile. We cannot remain here. The work is done elsewhere. There's been a holy work done here. But there's something else that remains to be done. And like Abraham Lincoln said, we cannot hollow this ground. Hallow this ground. We are called to the ministry. Each one of us is called to a ministry. It's not the ordained people. It's every one of us is called to ministry. Let's read this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. They asked me to read verses 3 through 12, but I need to read verses 3 through 13. kind of jumps in the middle of a sentence that it ends the same way. These are long sentences in, in Ephesians here. And so we start off by saying in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Why are, why are we not one then? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lowest parts, lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now Ephesians is the Magna Charta of fullness. And three times in the first chapter, he says that we would be to the praise of His glory. And said that three times, the first time after giving us the introduction to what God the Father has done for us, and then Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit in our lives, he ended each one of those three introductions to the, to the uh, trifold God, nature of God, with that we should be to the praise of his glory. And then in chapter 3, and you memorized these verses, and they were quoted yesterday, in verse 19 it says, to know the love of Christ which path of knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Be filled with the fullness of God. In this 13th verse that I just read it says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In chapter 15, excuse me, chapter 5 verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the this is the book of fullness, the book of Ephesians. It is the in-life Christ as it can be daily lived. 
has lived in the body of Christ, called in this book the church. It is a living union, the church is. A living union unlike any other society or any other social structure. And I know what Rotary International is. I'm acquainted with Lions Club. I've attended those meetings. I know what Modern Music Masters is all about. I was invited to join the Royal Order of Freemasonry. Not very many people were invited to join that. There are all kinds of brotherhoods out there. They use those names. Odd fellows. But there's nothing like the church. This church, this brotherhood, this living body that we read about in these verses is driven by the engines of grace and love. But but it does all that it does in the spirit of Meekness and gentleness. That doesn't mean the preacher does not raise his voice sometimes. That does not mean that we do not give clear rebukes at times. Jesus did. He did all, all of his things in the spirit of meekness and gentleness. But he was very straightforward at times. And I learned this many years ago that what we do is not nearly as important as the spirit with which we do it. So we find here the body of Christ involved in ministry, grace-empowered ministry. And I see I should have brought something with me to this platform that I forgot to bring along. What does the Bible mean when it talks about ministry? What is ministry? What does the Bible mean? And I think there are basically two aspects to this ministry. And the one aspect is what's been happening here this weekend. The edification of the body of Christ. The edification of those who gather together to learn from each other and to be edified with each other and to be built up and to feel the nurturing, to feel the sap flowing, to feel the life moving, to feel the, the flow from heart to heart. And we're doing that here this weekend. We're feeling that. And that's a very, very important part of our ministry. It's such a very important part that it almost should have preeminence, don't you think? This edification of this body, this building it up, this nurturing it. And it also includes the extension of the kingdom of God out into other places. You call that evangelism sometimes. But the extension out to others, reaching others. And bringing them also in. Jesus said, other sheep have I which are not of this fold. And he gave us examples of that. He, he told us about leaving the ninety and nine. And sometimes you might do that just for an evening and go out and find somebody. You might do that for a lifetime, leave the 99, and be out some faraway place. But it's Christ's heart. It's also part of ministry. What is ministering? Ministering is somewhat different from pe- preaching. I suppose all of you will get at least a limited amount of benefit from what you hear in these services throughout these preaching messages. Brother Lloyd, Brother Dwayne, those were given this weekend. You get some benefit from that preaching. But there's some people here that are ill. I, I admire Brother Lloyd's stamina and his 
his discipline to be able to handle himself here so well, knowing as I do the, the struggle he's had with, with his health this weekend. And some of you, when you leave here, you don't know what you're going to do when you get home. I recently had a visit to Costa Rica of three young people, ages 22 to 18. These young people would have fit into this group here today so perfectly well. They would have enjoyed this so very much. They would have tears running down their faces if they would be here. And they long to be part of a congregation, but they have never been members of a church in their lives. And they are dedicated Christians. I don't know of anyone more sincere in their faith than they are. And they visited us for a couple of days, and then they said, could, I, could we spend some time with you alone? And so we, we spent some time together, and then the tears came out, and then the story came out, and I did not know it. And they could hear a hundred sermons, but in their hearts there's a great need, in their hearts there's an emptiness, in their hearts there's something that's not working. And our ministry is to, to meet those individual needs, to, to meet those people where they are, to understand what they are facing, to deal something with them on a personal level. It would be a shameful thing, it would be awful if there would be a serious need in this assembly, Brother Joel, Brother Joe, it would be a serious thing, there's a serious need in here, and they hear the good preaching, and they take part in the singing, and they look up here at the screen, and they see these people that have prayed revival into their communities, and they learn all that. And go home with our hearts burdened and heavy and torn. Because something there that I was hoping someone would talk to me. I was hoping somebody would have had time. I'm hoping it's somebody. But they leave here with their needs. And that's the difference between preaching and, and ministering. And this, this title here is Grace Empowered Ministry. And almost every time, and maybe not every time, but almost every time when the Bible uses the word ministry, it is this that it's speaking about. And when it talks about Jesus going about ministering, it's this that he's talking about. When it talks about us ministering one to another, it's this that it's talking about. It's the, it's the body of Christ with that grace and with that anointing upon it to meet needs in the congregation. And that goes beyond the congregation then. And other people come to the light. Other people feel need for it too. It means to supply what is missing, this word in Greek. To supply what is needed. To make up the gap. And so that's what we're doing. We're ministering one to another. And what kind of advice would you give to three young people that would like to be a part of a congregation and don't know what to do? And you say, that should be simple. There are churches everywhere, not where they live. Though they live in the States. And they live with their father and mother. They live with, uh, their, with the ten boys and girls that live in that home. And so I, I prepared a message for, for those three young people. And, uh, that was preaching then. But I wanted it to minister to their hearts. And, uh, I don't know how many preachers are here, probably not very many in this assembly. The preachers, I guess, are busy this morning where they are responsible, but, I spend far more time ministering to people than I do preaching, and I do more preaching than some people do. The 
but my work is with people, not necessarily in the pulpit. So I want you to understand what ministering is. And that's a very lowly work. It's it's an oil-pouring work, but it's a very blessed work. And I don't know how you get closer to the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, that when you're meeting someone's needs, they're they're homeless and they're hopeless and they're lonely and they don't know what to do. They're facing all kinds of things, emotional problems and financial problems and division in the homes and deep sin in the life and they don't know how to get free from it. And to love them enough to hear their story, to love them enough to come by, come near. I think for all the emails you get and for all the seminars you people have attended, you've already heard this illustration. It's true. I cannot give you the name. I heard the name. I don't remember the place either. This brother that was working in a among a leper colony. And then they had kind of like a little compound there. And they had a chapel in the middle of the compound. And every morning they had a chapel service for these lepers. And most of the mornings it was his responsibility to direct this chapel service. And morning after morning as he came to that chapel, he would stand in front of those lepers and he would say, I greet you this morning, fellow Christians. I greet you this morning, fellow Christians. And he was identifying with them. As he did that, he was identifying with them as fellow Christians. One morning he was preparing his breakfast and he had some hot water there. I don't know if he was going to make his coffee or his tea or he was making oatmeal. And he slipped. And this hot coffee, this hot water poured down over his feet. And he could not feel it. He didn't feel the hot water. And he knew very well. He knew right away. And that morning when he went to the chapel, he said something different. I greet you this morning, fellow lepers. Because now he was one. You know, there's a certain sense in which Jesus does that. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He identified with sinners. He was a friend of them. You want to be used for the Lord. You want to be a man, a sister of God. I want to ask you something. Are there any sinners out there in your community? I don't know where you live, but are there sinners out there that know you as a choice and personal friend? Are there sinners out there that stop by and see you, rejoice to have you nearby, want to spend some time with you? Are there sinners that know you that way? And see, this is ministry. And so we, we get, come away rapidly from this 747 flying. I, I think of that as the second wealthiest man in the world came to Costa Rica from Saudi Arabia. He landed in Liberia, 
that's on the coast there and the Pacific coast where all the beaches are and the condominiums and all that, those hotels out there and that fancy stuff where all the money is spent and all the casinos are out there and you landed at 747 there. And when the airplane landed on the runway, 18 of the most expensive cars you can buy in the country of Costa Rica, all, all of them are black. They were all Toyotas, uh, the, the big four-wheel drive uh, units. 18 of them in a row pulled up beside that airplane. These people go out and get out and were whisked into these cars and driven off to their places. One day Jesus came to town. He came riding on a donkey. Which of the two was greater then? And we want to get away from this idea that it's way, way up here. We have a young man that's been a member of our congregation for the last 10 years, and he's hardly ever with us. He's only there a few days a year, a few weeks a year, maybe. I don't think it's been many, many years since he's spent as long as a month with us. I don't think he ever spends longer than two weeks at a time when he comes. He's with the young Indians in northern Nicaragua. And uh, in his attempt to live on the level that those people live on, he does not like the idea of flying into Bonanza on an airplane, a little a little Cessna caravan airplane. Uh, we, there's one that would take him in there, drop him right into Bonanza on a little grass run strip there. He prefers to ride the bus like they do. And then when he gets to Bonanza, walk the rest of the way in through the jungle. Ministering. So my first responsibility is to get you to understand this, what, what we're talking about. We're talking about grace-empowered ministering. And all this giftedness and all this Holy Ghost unction and all this walk with God and all this all these seasons of prayer have this purpose. So that we have to give to Him that needeth. So though we have not silver and gold such as we have, we give unto you. And if we don't have it, we can't give it. And if we don't have it, we have to get it. And this is the way we get it. And so we, we, we get it so we can give it. And if this weekend is a time when you received it, and you felt that the Lord in some new way refreshed you and refilled you, then out there is where we give it. That's what this is for. Now, we had already said, and we read it clearly in this passage, and this title takes it for granted that this grace-empowered ministry is not something that only I do myself. It's not just what I'm responsible to do or what you are responsible to do, but it's what the church does. And so we notice in this passage especially that we've been assigned to study this morning that effective ministry results from the unity of the Spirit. Verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and this thing does not work if I am at odds with my brother. This does not work if I cannot appreciate my brother. This does not work if, if uh, I am among God's people and somehow I remain apart and find my own little group of Jewish people over here and so we sit and eat over here together at our table. These are where the Jews are over here at our table. This works as we're together. And one of the things that Brother Joel and Brother Joe and Brother Ken have to achieve in this meeting, listen, Brother Joel, I don't know where you're sitting right there. One of the things you must achieve in this meeting is you have people coming in from all over. 
And you need to spend a, a sufficient time to get all of our hearts into one. Because what God does while He's here, He does better. He does it the most effectively when we are one. And, and, and when there's not this, uh, and why does she look like that, and, and where do they come from, and, and uh, what is this all about? And for those of us who have come into these plain type of churches, Anabaptist type churches, you've been calling them, from other settings, you know, I remember those first days. I remember it's like one time I came into a, one of those Anabaptist type churches, and, and the, I was not quite where Brother Matthew was, but maybe not as far away from that as I should have been. And my girlfriend and I came in, we sat in the back bench on this side over here, and the ladies sat on that side, the men all sat on this side, we sat on the wrong side, we sat on the men's side, sat on the back bench. And I don't know what we were doing there, because it was not my habit to go to church at that time. But I took my girlfriend on that particular visit to, to a church service. And we sat there, and the heads turned around and stared back there. There was my wife dressed the way she was dressed. I guess she did not fit in that church. But, but dear people, do we have the grace to believe? Grace to believe. Grace and power. Do we have the grace to believe that God might be doing something in those people's lives? There might be a reason why they're, why, why they're in here. And, and, and shouldn't they feel their acceptance there? Shouldn't they feel that they're worth something here? Shouldn't they feel that they belong here? Shouldn't we, can we do something to include them? But this oneness. The unity of the Spirit. Look at verses 4 through 6. Seven times in those verses we have the word one. There is one body, one Spirit. As ye, even as ye, that, the word ye there in Old English is plural. That's vosotros in Spanish. You are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And then look at the conclusion in verse 13. Until we all come in the unity of the faith. And, and that brother brought that group up here and sang that beautiful hymn. Now my heart was just, my heart was just so blessed. Is that the brother there? First of all, I'm going to ask you for a copy of that hymn. We can't sing it in Spanish. But if I have the music and the words, we'll do what we can to translate it. And there's a chorus of Costa Rican people that probably will be singing that song in a couple of months if you allow us that copyright. But brother... The last 10 years of my life. Has been somewhat maybe dedicated to the uniting together of God's divided people. Working with one congregation after another. And the last one we were asked to help with. It's not even in Latin America, it's in the States. And we have to make trips up here to, to help them. Trips up here from Costa Rica. And 
the congregation divided, and some of the ministers went with this group and some with that group, and they started holding separate services. That's how far they were when we were finally called into the situation. Half the families here, half the families here, meeting apart. This morning, that congregation worshipped the Lord together in one place. How did we how did we get to this place? Do we all come in the unity of the faith? Unity, maturity, the fullness of Christ. And this is the heart of God. And and we heard about it. I'm not going to even read it back there in John seventeen. It's on my notes to read it, but I'm not going to. We heard it in the song. It's the heart of God that we be one as they are. So the world might know Jesus said it two times. In those verses, in his prayer in John 17, that the world would know how the world going to find out. The one word that describes the secret of power in the early church in our Spanish Bible is unanimous. That's your word, unanimous. You don't have that word in your, in this particular version of the Bible. But that is the one word that is used. In, in your Bible here, it uses the word one accord many times. That's always unanimous in Spanish. The Bible says there, as the day of full Pentecost was fully come, that they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. That's a good place to be. I was in a meeting where various publishers were gathered together discussing plans for the future, the next 10 years of literature production there for Latin America, Spanish language, various publishers together. Who's going to print this in, in the school curriculum? Who's going to be doing this kind of textbooks and, and uh, doctoral translations? And who's going to be doing this kind of Sunday school literature? And who's going to be doing this kind of periodical work? And, and trying to plan that together with others. And uh, I don't know why it was, but in that meeting... I made a statement that I didn't think it was anything dramatic. I didn't think it was anything unusual. But at that point, we had about 17 years of working together in our publishing board. And I just made the statement that in 17 years of chairing this board meeting, we have never had a crossword between any brothers in a meeting. We never had a tense moment in a meeting. We have never had to deal with unresolvable viewpoints it has always been a sweet spirit in our meetings for 17 years and one brother looked at me and said that's impossible how do you do that well brothers it's something we can agree to do it's something we can agree to do and I want to tell us this morning that if we cannot do that, if that's not the way our relationships are, it's because somebody is too big. And I think it's good to be suspicious and take for granted that somebody is probably I. Let's go to Romans 15. Verses 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according 
to Christ Jesus. That ye may... And you see, he keeps bringing Christ Jesus in here because that's the example. And we want to look to him. And we want to be like him. And he was always one with his father. And he never had disagreements there. There was never a problem getting along. There was never a pulling of two ways or three ways. It was always unity. It was always perfect harmony there. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what you think of when you read that sentence. If you read it in Spanish, you would say this. That you may unanimous and with one voice glorify God. One voice. That's so beautiful in Spanish. One voice. One voice coming out of Camp Peniel. One voice in your congregation at home. One voice among the ministers of your congregation, the ordained brethren. One voice. One voice coming out of the brothers' meeting. One voice. It's one thing to make a decision in a brothers' meeting. It's one thing to make a decision as the ministers are together discussing issues in the congregation. It's one thing to make a decision. It's quite another thing to be unanimous. This is not a parliamentary procedure. It's not some kind of democratic process. But rather the goal is to be one at heart. Our hearts are one on this. We recently had a situation happen in a, one of our congregations. It's, it's kind of unusual, but uh, the, I, I was at the door at the back before the service started. The young man said to me, may, may I say a few words to the congregation this evening? Sometimes it's great me a little time. Is it okay? I said, sure. And so I, I, when I had time for that, I said, brother, why don't you just come up front here? Why don't you just come up to the pulpit? You have something that's important to say. Why don't you just say it from up here? And he came up front here. And he said, my wife and I feel called to another work in another country. And, and this brother was scared. This brother was thinking. And I don't know what we did to give him this impression. It must be something we had done. And we take the responsibility for that. He, he felt that we would not support them in that. He felt that he was under the impression when he came up front here that we would reject that sense of call in his life. He said, I, I don't know what you want to do with this, but, but, but if, we, if we have to drop our membership in this church in order to do that, we'll do it. I could tell that something was very serious going on there. And, you know, we had three congregational meetings. And the time we were finished with that took a while. Everything was one. It's fine. We will bless you. We will encourage you. Here's what we offer to do with you as you go. Do for you as you go. We'll do this before you leave. We're willing to do this after you go. We will do this. And if this doesn't suit you real well, if this would work better, we're willing to do that. And we gave four different options of ways that we'd be willing to relate to them as they need to be going. He said, I can't believe this. I just can't believe the church is responding like this. I just can't believe this. You see, we need to talk these things over and discuss them enough and be clear enough until we're one of heart about this matter, not just agree to make a, to, to make a decision on something. You know, five in favor, three against. Agreed. Acts chapter 4, I need to show you this. It's the secret in the early church. It's a secret in any church. It's a secret in any ministry. It's a secret in any work that you're doing where you are right now in your life. As you relate to your school board, as you're a teacher... In the home, the husband and wife dealing with the children. It's the secret. Verses 31 and 32. This is Acts 4, 31 and 32. It says here, 
And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And it tells you how they, how they fleshed that out in even economic matters there. Now how is one voice possible? Well, the self-same Spirit of Christ is given to each one of us. The same baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire, the same abiding, the same inspired word in each one of us. How could we so be so divided and disagreed and discordant when we all partake of the same bread and wine? Division is sin that prevents and destroys grace-empowered ministry. It's, it's the opposite of grace-empowered ministry. Why would I choose to set it not my brother? Why do I sense no need of him? Because I'm too big. I cannot esteem my brother better than myself. I am much better than he is. We'd be much better off without him. Listen to those words. Much better off if he was not here. And I cannot be one then when I have attitudes like that. And if the Holy Spirit of God comes into our heart and does anything for us, it should be to to help me seek Christ in my brother. What did Jesus do when his disciples were vying for preeminence? And I will be the greatest, and I will sit on the right and on the left. And they were arguing about that, going into the upper room. And what did Jesus do? How did he respond to that disunity among them? He stooped down low and took a basin. And if there's disunity in your church, and you're a pastor this morning, I would urge you to take that first step and be the first one to go down. Be the first one to break your heart. Be the first one to say, I must have done something wrong. Be the first one to open yourself to the brethren and say, what is it that you see? And grace will start there. See, grace, grace is a flowing thing. Grace is like electricity. This bulb is lit. That one is not. But it must flow or, or it doesn't do a thing. And there's no energy here. There's no power here. There's no dynamic. There's no engines running. There's no motors turning until the current is flowing. Grace is like that. And as soon as we stop grace, then there's no grace-empowered ministry. And, and, and bigness stops grace. But, but as soon as humility comes and meekness and brokenness, there's an opportunity for grace to flow. How do we minister one to another? Verses 7 through 13. Talk about that in this chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. Well, we have received grace. It tells us that here. We have received a certain amount of giftedness. The brother last night called it enablement. What Christ has chosen to give us. Each of us has received that. None of us the same. God has a purpose in that. Each of us are different. But we complement each other. But each one of us has received it. And this brother that I'm despising, this brother that I'm ready to divide from and form my own group over somewhere else, this brother I can't stand, this brother I can't get along with, so I'm going to stop meeting him or greeting him. This brother has something in his life that I need Christ put it there. But I can't see it. God has a purpose in making each one of us different. If, if you If you just think about, well, we have twins in our congregation at home. And they're about the same size, they're very much alike. If you look at them, you would not know which one is Ashley and which one is Amber. You probably couldn't tell. 
But those girls are very, very different. And I'm not around there very often. I, the one very much, the other one hardly ever. She lives in another country. But I know how different those girls are. And, and they, they're, they're, they're identical twins, but they're different. You read in your, in your Bible about that little family lived together, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You see how, how different Mary was from Martha. Very, very different. And God made it that way. And they got a fuss among themselves. They had a problem among themselves. Jesus, they correct her. Look what she's doing. Don't, don't she understand? We're different, but there's a reason for that. And our differences cause division that they should not cause. I beseech Eutyche and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The only word of reprehension in the whole letter of Philippians is found in chapter 4, verse 2. God wants harmony. And, uh, and this brother could have come up here and sung that beautiful song by himself. He could have done it. They brought others with him. And why did he bring others with him? When his note was up here, other people had a note down here. And there were complimentary notes in between. And why did he do that? And they're beautiful chords. And we're called upon as a church to symphony together. That's what the Greek says. To symphony together. And you see, that's how we minister. It's a, it's a beautiful thing when we have a need in the church. And you know, all of us come to that problem, come to the meeting with our understanding of what might be wrong and how we think maybe we could fix it. But we ought to be quiet enough to listen to what somebody else has to say. And so our gift is made available to the body, this is saying here. These gifts that He gives, gives to, to, to men as He ascended up on high, these gifts are given to the church and we share... Those gifts are you and I. Those gifts are what God has done in here. Those gifts are people. Those gifts are His work in our hearts. Those gifts are His taking this uniqueness and the personality that we have that no one else has. I will never preach like Lloyd Troyer preaches, nor Dwayne Eby. That is not my calling. Each one of us has a different personality. And, and God gives us a, God gives us a place in the church where that personality can shine. God wants that to shine in the lives of all of our dear people in the church. And, and that's, that's when we really can minister when that is happening. What is my gift? I'm not sure. For several years, I was preaching and somebody came to me one time and said, Dale, you'll never be a preacher. You're, you're just a teacher. You'll never be a preacher. You're a teacher. And three times in my life, I was called to the bishop office. If you want to call it that eldership. That sounds a little bit better. That's, that's more Spanish. Three times. Someone came to me and said, Hey, Dale, what, what are you doing in that position? You're, you're an evangelist. You're not an elder. You're, you're far from me. You're, you're an evangelist. What, what are you doing? I don't know what, what gift there is. But all we need to do is make it available to the church. There are gifts that move us and stretch us and challenge us. the prophetic kind. There are others that feed us and pour out oil and 
protect us and nurture us. And sometimes there is a prophetic word. I don't know if I should say this or not. We just had experience last week in Costa Rica that I started to tremble when the brother was speaking. I could not believe what I was hearing. I don't know if I should tell you this story. But it gives you an idea of what Grace Empowered Ministry is about. And what we're called upon to do, and this is on the more prophetic line. See, we were interviewing a couple, a family that has interest in one of our projects in Peru. And we have stringent qualifications for people that go there. We offer you no money if you go. You have to agree that you will live completely by faith if you go. And there are a lot of things like that. You don't get very many volunteers in that kind of ministry. So I was interviewing this family. and So one of the things I've got to check out is, is, is this dedication to God, is this life on the altar, are they willing to put up with anything? Are they willing to sit on a muggy, muggy bus and have little children come around there with muddy shoes and trample on top of their dress shoes as they're on the way to the church service? Are they able to do that without fussing about it? Are they able to have mosquitoes in their food and bugs in their soup? Are they able to do that and not worry about it? If they can't do that, they must stay home. So I was trying to test test this all out. And while they were giving their testimony, this is what I heard. Brother Dale, in the month of March, you were in our home. And I was. I was preaching someplace near their area. stayed in their home overnight two nights. It may have been three nights. I don't remember. So while I was there, I told you that we were interested in Peru. And I told you we were not quite sure what we could do about going to Peru because we did not realize that my wife was expecting a child which I just found out before you got there. And we were afraid that maybe that would stop all the plans because my wife has to have a certain kind of hormone. I don't remember what it's called or she cannot carry a child. And she's miscarried every time she doesn't have that hormone in rather ample quantities. It cannot be bought in many places, like some foreign countries don't have it. They thought I'd have to go back to the States and get that and keep her on that. And uh, they won't be able to uh, follow through with this. And he told me at that time, he asked me what I thought they should do about it. And I didn't remember any of, of this conversation. I don't know why it was, but I didn't remember any of it. He said, you told me when I asked you, you told me, that it is always safe and never wrong to leave life into the hands of God. You said it is not wrong to leave life in the hands of God. So you left. My wife and I got down and we prayed. And we decided that we're going to leave this little life in the hands of God. And we're not going to look for any medicine. And we're not going to take any medicine. We're going to leave everything in the hands of God. And now, Brother Dale, she is six months. And I live every day with a miracle because it's impossible for her to have this baby. And I think we're ready to go to Peru. I said to the wife, Dear sister, how do you feel? She said, 
my baby is fine. I said, go to Peru then. That was a prophetic word. And they took that as from the Lord. And can we be sensitive enough to the Spirit of God and sensitive to His heart and will that we can at those moments in time when the church is at points of decision and lives are in the balance that we can share a word. And God stands behind it. And this gift is in the church. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift from God. Well, we spend a lot of time here. We have the other gifts here. The pastor, teacher. In Greek, that's the same person. That's not two different people. In Greek, it's a pastor, teacher type person. You have the gospel bearers there. The evangelists. You have the apostles, the sent ones, and not in, not in the sense of the word that they're writing scripture. That's not the apostolic office. It's those who are sent, representing another. That's what the word apostle means. One sent out, representing another. And uh, we've sent out quite a few people like that. In our work, sometimes I walk up to a younger minister. Or another brother that's not a minister doesn't have to be ordained to, to do this. and We tell them, we have a task for you to do. We want you to do this. These are going to be your assignments. You're going to be there for a certain amount of days. This is your task we want you to try to accomplish. Go there and do this. Come back and tell us how it went. Those are apostles. As I understand it, and that's how we've opened the door of admissions in new places uh, on several occasions. We've done them many times. And so we start working in other countries and other locations. And this function together, ministry together, is corporate. It's not merely a charismatic personality ministry. It's a church ministry. It's a brotherhood ministry. It's something we all do together, this grace-empowered ministry. And may I just show you we're going to soon close here in First Peter chapter 4. Would you please turn here and read verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4.10 As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Good stewards. Of the manifold grace of God, minister the same that way, one to another. Bless your brother. Give life to your brother. Meet the need of your brother. It's the body that is ministering. Just like this whole assembly has ministered to me, I was sitting here last night and the Rubio family came up front here, sang a hymn. 
There were other beautiful hymns sung too. And, but they had no idea what that hymn that they sang meant to me. They have no idea what I faced where I live. They have no diff- idea that, of the difficulties with which we made this trip to Camp Penile this weekend. And then I heard this hymn. And I have this practice when I walk into an assembly, whether it's our local congregations at home or whether it's a Bible conference, whatever it is, I, I have this practice. When I know I'm going in there, I, I'm, I'm listening and waiting for something. Throughout the whole meeting, I'm waiting for something. I'm waiting for God to touch my heart with something He has me there for and has there for me. And I'll wait. And uh, I have many things, but that's that hymn last night. And uh, that's how we minister to one another. Verse 15, we minister to one another, this is in Ephesians 4, as we speak the truth in love, one to another. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth to heal, not to harm. We speak the truth to the brother to improve the brother, not to weaken and disable and derail and destroy him. When we speak the truth in love, we're never threatened by the person we are trying to minister to that we're helping. And when I'm threatened by a brother, threatened by a sister in the church, threatened by someone, threatened by this new upstart, this new shoot springing out here, then there's no love there. And I cannot minister grace. I only do damage. I cannot minister grace to a person if I feel threatened while I'm doing it. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And this verse, this verse among other things teaches us that we receive from Christ what we minister. Just like this, just like the servers did at the wedding at Cain of Galilee. They went and received that. And what they received they came and poured out. And as, as long as they had food they could give it. As long as they had, had the refreshment there and the, uh, the wine they could give it, but when it wasn't there, they couldn't give it, and they could—they only could give what they had received. If I don't receive it, I can't give it. And we received of the Lord what we have, so we must wait before Him until we have received that choice gift that will serve others, that will minister to others, that will bless others, and that requires prayer, that requires soul searching. And when there's a special need comes up, I like to spend enough time in prayer so that I heard God say, take this to that brother. Some word of scripture, some thought, some inspire, direct my work, inspire my thoughts is a line of a hymn I often sing. Put it in my heart, dear God, what I should say, what we should do. And then when you receive, go and give it. And give it in the spirit of the spirit of the, of the white apron. Do you know what the spirit of the white apron is? That's not Freemasonry. They wear white aprons too, but Jesus wore a white apron. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, be clothed with humility. That is, wear a white apron. The servant, the slave in the household always wore a white apron. And all that they did with that white apron as they served and wiped up things and held onto the hot handles and all that they did was using a white, white apron, a symbol of service, of servanthood, of slavery. And all you do, be clothed that way. 
Under the Spirit's control, where there's always predictable results, no anger in the meeting, no lashing out with a tongue at a needy person. Where there's a predictable result, where the people that know you as pastor, know you as daddy in the home, know you as school teacher in the classroom, they know you, they, 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 they can predict how you will respond, because your life is predictable. This is grace-empowered ministry. It's by grace then. It's not by letting it go and letting each person do their own thing and everyone have their feel good, be yourself, individualist. That's not grace. It's not legalism. It's not asserting authoritarianism. It's not being this heavy-handed, I'm in charge around here attitude. It's by grace. It's by pastoring. It's by patiently holding forth the word of life in atmosphere of acceptance and trust. And I have learned that it is proper to invest confidence in people where I might have to take the risk to do it. But that very investment of confidence gives them courage to be faithful, to be trustworthy. And it's one of the things we use in grace-empowered ministry to invest confidence in people that otherwise would not be worthy of it. But you say, I believe that you will do this. I think it will be just fine. I'd like you to, I'd like you, I'd like to see you do that. Invest that confidence. That's what Jesus did. Grace is life-changing. And uh, there's a verse that God has kind of impressed me with. As you think about grace-empowered ministry in your churches and communities and families and the needs where you are. It says here, If any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is done unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death. And I believe we can ask for life for our brothers and sisters. And God will give us that life. And we must, we must believe that. Now I want, to, I want to end here this morning in John chapter 20. Would you please turn there. And this, these few verses will wrap up the whole weekend, I think. And these will be our closing thoughts. We have here the heart of God. We have here our mission. We have here the grace by which we do what God is giving us to do as we leave here. It says these words in verses 21 and 22. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Because without that, of course, we never can do it. And I want you to hear today and, and please remember as you go that that giftedness of the Holy Spirit in your life is not to make you some spectacular celebrity, some charismatic personality. It is to give you that horn of oil and that gift of grace whereby you can do the work that Jesus left us here to do. 
Because as He is, so now are we in this world to do what He left us to do. The Spirit with which He did it. For the glory of the same Father before whom He lived His noble life. That is our mission at Camp Penile. May God bless you.